0: For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, this morning... We want to talk about the Small Business Administration and what are some of the laws that are happening with the Small Business Administration in this first half. We have a guest who is not on the call yet, but we're going to talk and hopefully he will come on. And this is Black History Month. That's no question. Black History Month to celebrate the history of black folks, mainly in America, but all over the world kinds of things that we've done. And we normally look at, in the last five years, we have looked at the relationship between co-ops and our black history, mainly focusing on the book that Jessica Gordon-Emhard wrote, Collective Carriage, and talking with David Thompson, which we have talked to him last week about the civil rights movement, particularly the 1963 March on Washington and the important role that co-ops, housing co-ops, particularly played in that march, and cooperators working together, knowing how to function together, knowing how to um, get things done, which are some of the things that one learns in a co-op, is how to organize, uh, how to how to make decisions together, and when there's conflict, how to manage that conflict so that. Things can still get accomplished. This is history, so we 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 look at the past to give us an idea of what's going on today with a sort of direction to what happens in the future. So we wanted to take today and look at some of the things that is happening in today that will affect the future for America and particular black Americans coming off a strong foundation of people that have really worked and died so that we could have a better today and looking for what we now can do so that folks in the future, those young people that are already here and those people yet to be born, will have a better future because of the work that we do today. So the Small Business Administration, has created something called the Main Street Employee Ownership Act. And that's what we wanted to talk about with a guest today, the Main Street Employment Ownership Act. Before this act, cooperators could not get loans from the Small Business Administration. Okay? Before this act was passed, we could just could not get loans from the Small Business Administration. The Small Business Administration is part of the U.S. government, okay? The Small Business Administration, a friend of mine uh, in the 70s went to them and got a loan. He got this loan to help his business. He was in San Diego where he could not get loans from banks, but the Small Business Administration gave him loans. So in getting the loan, then he could get things accomplished, the small business administration plays in a really important role for people that want to start a business okay if you want to start a business if you need money to expand your business or increase your inventory or if you need money to buy another business okay Whatever you might need money for, that's one of the things that the Small Business Administration does. It may not loan you the money directly. Sometimes it does, but most of the time it guarantees the loan. If you get a bank, then a bank knows uh, since more often than not, a bank looks for collateral, okay? And so it normally loans to people that already have capital in this capitalistic society. And, And too often... Because of racism and slavery and Jim Crow and all of the things that we as black people have had to endure, too often we have not collected any wealth. I don't think it would be that much different from black men. Maybe it would be. So too often, African-Americans, our brown-skinned brothers, our wealth that we did have in our homes, a lot of it got just torn right away, very quickly. Just got wiped out. So when we go to banks, we want to start a business, have this great idea, heavy skill sets. They loan to people that already have collateral, that already have assets. Too often, it's not us. When you look at the model, you can't really see why you may have a banker that may have all the best intentions, it may not be racist. In a capitalistic society, too often, those businesses that get started. Most of them fail within the first year, in the first five years. Most of them would fail. Some stats say that uh, only 10% survive after the first five years. We have our guests on the line. So we'll get back to banks won't make the loans, so the government put in the Small Business Administration to get the loan. Good morning, David. Good morning, yes. This is David Inkeby. David, good morning. Glad you could make it on, sir. Thank you very much, and I apologize for my
1: tardiness. Uh, My only excuse is that I was actually just in a meeting of the ESOP Association, Employee Stock Ownership Plan Association of Employee Owned Companies. So I was working on something having to do with employee ownership, which is what everything co-op
0: is about. Yes, yes. And uh, can you tell people what the Main Street Employee Ownership Act is? Yes, of course. So the
1: Main Street Employee Ownership Act was something that came out of Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's office um, as a, a, a technical change to some of the regulations regarding SBA loans for ESOPs and co-ops. In ESOP is an Employee Stock Ownership Plan. It's a form of employee ownership, and a co-op is a cooperative, as your listeners are uh, probably already are really familiar with. Um, There have been recent changes uh, in 2017, regulations were changed so that uh, a co-op could fall under the definition of a small business, so co-ops are eligible for SBA loans, and the Main Street Employee Ownership Act charges the SBA with disseminating information on employee ownership, uh, how such employee ownership can come to be, how retiring business owners can sell their businesses to um, to their employees, uh, either through a new co call and uh, some technical changes regarding the regulations and the rules about how these loans are made, and, and uh, others of the details. Um, the, the motivation for all of this is a couple of facts. Uh, almost half of all small businesses in the United States of America that have employees are owned by baby boomers and baby boomers are at the age at which they're going to be retiring, many of them pretty soon if they're not already, and for the next 15 years or so, they're gonna be retiring. So another another historical fact is that most small businesses do not get passed on to the second generation, and most small businesses that look for a buyer never find a buyer. So if they don't have a buyer, if they don't get passed on to the second generation after the owner's, and the business just shuts down. It liquidates. The owner gets very little money. The liquidation value of a small business is very small compared to it if it's a going concern. And the jobs are lost. And the community loses that value and that income. So if, uh, if we can convert a lot of these businesses to co-ops or to e businesses stay open, the jobs stay in the community, and everybody wins.
0: Everybody wins. I like that. Win, 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 win. The owner wins because they can get more equity, more value out of it. The employees win because they keep a job and now they can increase their equity and value. the community wins because they have a, a jobs in their community and when people live in the community as in co-ops they spend in the community so the money turns more so that they get more value in the community over and it's a multiplier effect everybody wins the government wins because indeed. they get more taxes indeed that's, that's, that's precisely the point you
1: know the tax base is maintained. People who have incomes pay taxes. We all pay taxes if we have income. Uh, and so that helps the community and that helps uh, the economy of a region um, a lot more than if businesses just liquidate and go and jobs disappear that are not likely to come back. Uh, there are some other benefits to being part of a co-op or being part of an ESOP. Research has shown that uh, employees who work for an ESOP retire with more money they have
0: more retirement money in their accounts than do people who work for other types of businesses. Hold a minute, David. David, I'm sorry to cut you off, but we've got to go into our first break and we only have one more segment. So when we get back, I really want to get into the benefits of the ESOP and the the co-op of why they are are, are good for everybody, the employees and the community and everything else that we were talking about. So we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Information is power, and that's why WOL is a great, great partner here. The National Cooperative Bank and the folks at Everything Co-op is giving you information. So if you use that information, that's where you get the power. And this morning, we're giving you information. David Hinkopee is the Economic Development Specialist at the Small Business Administration, and he... It's given us information about the Main Street Employee Ownership Act that was just passed. And before we took break, he was talking about the benefits of ESOPs, <clears throat> which is Employee Stock Option Plan, or co-ops. And, David, could you continue with that conversation? What's the benefits of these ownerships? Uh, yes, of course. Well, they work a little bit differently. For example, the
1: ESOPs, the Employee Stock Ownership Plans, you can, probably, you can think of the, the most important long-term benefit for employees of such a company is that they retire. Uh, research shows that they retire with more money in their retirement accounts than people who work for uh, other types of firms. And some of the research shows that could be two and a half times as much. So that's a very big deal for somebody that's ready to retire. Uh, with co-ops, and they have an ongoing benefit as well by working for firms that have lower turnover, that have steady growth, and that can be just as innovative in their fields as uh, a different type of uh, company that's not an ESOP. For example, if you've ever owned any kind of uh, waterproof um, jacket, uh, if you had Gore-Tex, well, the people who invented Gore-Tex, the people who make Gore-Tex, that is an ESOP company, and they have been for many decades. So you can see that it's not just little companies that are not leaders in their field. Some of these companies these leaders in their field. They have growth. They're steady. It's good employment. And at the end, of have retirement. Now, with a co-op, on the other hand, that is, um, as well as long-term benefits, there is the immediate benefit that because co-ops are so rooted in their community, the money, as you were saying, circulates within the community. So if you're, for example, part of a worker co-op, Uh, let's say it's a window company, a window-making company, and uh, the workers um, own this, well, they earn money selling their windows in that community. Then they spend that money in that community. And as you said, the tax base is maintained and the community is more prosperous. Uh, If it's, for example, a consumer co-op, and uh, you can think of one, if you're familiar with the Sporting goods company, REI. They're a very big one. They've been around a long time. But if you pay your membership fee and you become a member of the co op, you have some benefits buying your sporting goods, your outdoor equipment there. Uh, you get discounts that other people don't get because they're not members. Uh, and at the end, um, you can also vote for the board of the people who run. These are the people who run the co op. And so a smaller version of that might be a food co op, like a supermarket. They have these in different states. Uh, there are some in our area as well, and that's uh, some people get together, and they want to start buying their food locally. They want to get better prices or get better quality. They come together. They form a co-op, and it's a, it's a consumer-buyer's co-op in which they get better prices. They keep the money in the community because they're buying locally, and so the fundamental thing about this is uh, my spending is somebody else's income in my community, and their spending My income in that community. So that's the ongoing day to day benefit right now of a co op in the
0: community. I've never heard it put that way, David. Thank you. My spending becomes their income, and their spending becomes my income in this whole co op world, this working together, this solidarity economics. So if the person works outside the community, sometimes they spend the money even before they get back home. So it doesn't turn, but it may just turn five or six times in the community when you are doing this. So everybody spending that community helps everybody else in the community. Yes. The example is just outside. And by the way, I should give credit where credit is due for that spending uh, explanation
1: of it. I got that from Putin and he said that in an interview 10 years ago he's an economist uh, and, and so he he's where he really encapsulated it well there but to give you an example in maryland for example i know that there's a couple of co-ops in maryland uh, where there's a consumer co-op uh, as well as a uh, cafe uh, i think it's the new deal uh, cafe right so if i am a member of the consumer co-op the food co-op i go and i sh- spend my money there and uh, the money stays in the community. But then I can also go and spend my money at some local cafe where I get my coffee. Now, the the co-op owners of this cafe, they now have income that they perhaps go and spend in the consumer food co-op where I am. You see? And so that's a perfect example of how my spending becomes somebody else's income and Somebody else's spending becomes my income. And so the more co-ops you have, the more of this happens. There's nothing wrong with a company from outside the state coming and doing business in your state or in your city. nothing wrong with that. But it does help uh, if we can keep
0: the tax base up and keep prosperity and employment up in a community. Well, that also helps to get rid of this uh, unequal wealth, this, this inequality that happens, and it's getting bigger and bigger. That the people that have are getting more and the people that don't have are getting less. So, by having co ops, then the the people that don't have, if they come together and take whatever little resources they have and work in a co op, then they can get more wealth. And, that, like you said, it could be two and a half times if somebody's not in a co op or not in one of these shared uh, ownerships. What I like about co-ops a little bit better than ESOPs is co-ops are owned and controlled by the employees, where an ESOP may be owned by the employees, but it may not be controlled. That's the way that stock goes. So I like both over the capitalistic model, but I like the co-ops just a little bit more because they have to have control. So how can people reach out to you? Um,
1: Well, if they want to reach out to me directly, uh, they could just call the Washington Metro Area Office. Of the SBA and ask for me, David Hinkapie. Uh, you you know go right to the website, the SBA.gov website. You'll get the, the office number and the phone will be directing to me, and I'll be happy to answer anybody's questions. Now, if they want to get a little bit more detail, I am starting a series of information seminars. Uh, They're going to be very short, less than 90 minutes, Um, uh, and I'm going to do them once a month in the surrounding area. The Washington Metro Area Office is responsible for the District of Columbia, Prince George's County, Montgomery County, Loudoun, Fairfax, and Arlington Counties in northern Virginia. And I'd like to do one of these in every county. So we're going to do one a week from tomorrow in Montgomery County. We're going to do one in Fairfax County in March. And in April, we're going to do one in Prince George's County. And then we're just going to keep going, eventually doing one in the District of Columbia itself. And any business owner who is retiring and is looking for a way to sell their business to their employees or any persons just interested in forming a co-op, these come to these information sessions. They're free. They're open to the public. They're uh, by the SBA. And we'll have people who are experts in this explain it, but we're going to keep it short and sweet. You know, we're going to keep it less than 90 minutes, and if you want more information to investigate, you're, getting, you're we'll give you some contacts there. You can, you can carry on from there.
0: David, would you spell your last name so when people go to sba.gov and they look at the... Get on the webpage and they look for the Washington area, and then they get the telephone number, and then they ask for you. So it's David. Can you spell your last name, please? The last name is spelled H-I-N. As in
1: November C-A-P. As in- <laughs> David.
0: David. David, uh, you know a lot, and I appreciate that. There's somebody in the federal government besides the Department of Agriculture that knows about co-ops. That's phenomenal. Well, I
1: have to give, again, credit where credit is due. I'm learning a lot with the partners that I've been working with people from the National Cooperative Bank, uh, people from different uh, nonprofits, uh, the National Center for Employee Ownership, Project Equity. Uh, These people are even more knowledgeable than me. I shouldn't even say even more. They're far more knowledgeable than I am, and they've been very helpful in helping me get oriented and start this information seminar series. So that we can get the word out to everybody in the Washington metro
0: area. How can I know where these? I say you got one in a week and a half, but how do I find out when they're going to be, where they're going to be? We're going to be publicizing them uh, on our uh, on
1: the website, and uh, anybody who just gets in touch with me, you know, I'll I'll put you on my email list, and I'll just send it out. You know. we don't have a mass marketing uh, uh, budget for this in the FDA, so this is very much a grassroots thing in which anyone who gets in touch with me and wants more information, well, that's what I'm there to do. That's uh, that's my job.
0: David, we've, we've got to go to our final break for you, and we'll be coming back uh, talking with another guest. But, David, thank you so very much for what you're doing. I will... Get your email address and reach out so I'll have to advertise this. It sounds phenomenal and excellent. Great. For future. Thanks a lot, buddy. You're very welcome. All right. Good day. Bye now. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We're celebrating Black History Month. Doing a little bit differently today. We've talked about sort of what's happened in the past and how we're standing today on the shoulders of people that have lived and marched and died for us. And we're looking more toward now, what can we do today that would help us in the future. So what's going on in the future? In our first half of this show, we talked about a new program that Small Business Administration has that helps everybody and anybody, but it helps them with employee ownership, both ESOPs and co-ops. So folks that are black and brown can now get loans and technical assistance through SBA. Now we're going to talk to Deb Trocha. Deb, how are you doing? I'm good. Vernon, how are you? Great, and you're the executive director of Indiana Co-op Development Center. Center. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see you next in two weeks from today. Yes,
2: I'm very excited. Fantastic,
0: and just your up-and-coming conference. What is your up-and-coming conference? What's that?
2: Well, it's a conference that specifically was created to help groups who are starting food co-ops. It originally started as a, a small regional conference, and it's now grown to an international, uh, not an international, a national not conference. Not yet, not yet, but okay. Not yet. Um, <laughs> a national conference. People come from all over the country, from Alaska to the south to the east and the and the west, California the east coast. So it's all about making sure that people who are organizing in their local communities to provide access to the good, healthy, local, organic, in some cases, food, have the tools they needed, the energy and the enthusiasm is palpable. People are really excited about what they're doing in their local communities, and it's kind of a, maybe this not, might not be the right way to describe it, but when you're starting a food co-op, it can be a really lonely business. I mean, you're working with a lot of people, but it's really cool to have all of those people in the same room talking about, you know, what are, what are their shared obstacles, what kind of successes are they having, what can they learn from each other.
0: Are these food co-ops that are already in existence or are they food co-ops where people are starting them?
2: Predominantly starting them. So most of our attendees will be in the process of starting. We'll have a few who have already put doors on the store, as we call it, um, but for the most part, it's people who are in that startup phase. Some of them might be on the verge of opening, but predominantly it's going to be uh, those who are in the process of getting their store opened.
0: Doors on the store. So that's, that's yeah. they've got they got a building with, with some locks
2: and with doors. doors but, on it, yes. Okay. I didn't coin that phrase. Someone else did. I'm just uh, using okay. it. I got it. It's clear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so but it's mostly startups, and I I talked to some folks in the D.C. area that's starting. They went a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and somebody I have interviewed on this program who's starting a food co-op. This group is starting a food co-op in Detroit. I see they're going to be there. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we actually have people coming from thirty-one different states.
0: Thirty-one out of fifty.
2: Yes, isn't that exciting?
0: That's 60% of the states, 62 Yeah, that's really four, cool. Six.
2: And we actually do have a couple of people coming from D.C. this year. Well, one for sure, a startup group that's coming. Okay. And just one other quick kind of thing, this is our 10th year that we've been doing this, um, and we've seen just tremendous growth over that time. We've seen so many new projects starting up. I think if you talk to folks who are involved in this startup process all the time, like that's their major line of business, they'll tell you that we've got in the neighborhood of, you know, 125, 130 projects in the pipeline who are in some phase of starting a food co-op. So that is incredibly exciting to cooperators, you know, across the spectrum.
0: There's about 125 to 130 startups in, in the U.S., Yes. food co ops.
2: That we know of. And, and yeah. there could be projects out there that we're not aware of. So that's that's exciting. Oh, that's Especially very exciting. That's in huge. this day and age when the market is so competitive, it just is it's really exciting and invigorating to think that there are groups across the country who you know, maybe it's in an area where the big boxes have pulled out and there's a food desert. You know, they're not waiting for someone to come in and fix the problem for them. They are doing it themselves. Self-help. So you know, self-help. Helping yourself as opposed to waiting for someone to do it for you.
0: That's one of the values of cooperative self-help, which Absolutely. I like. Absolutely. Yep. I, I think the first time I ever dealt with this, I might have been 12 or 13 and we were boys walking over hills saying, going to a basketball court that might have been two miles away. I don't know, but we had to walk to it. And somebody said, when will they put a basketball court in our neighborhood? And I asked, who's they? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't have an answer at that time. Right. (laughs) We did eventually build our own basketball court. It wasn't a two ones and it didn't. But but we could do three on three. We eventually got together and built our own when I was in high school. So they is us.
2: That's right, and it's much more. I mean, you appreciate it so much more, I think, when you have had a hand in helping to bring that about. Yes. You know, to create that, whatever kind of co-op it is, um, food co-op or otherwise, but you know, you have been instrumental in helping to organize and create and find the money and find the staff and, you know, all those pieces coming together, um, people in the community can be really proud of that effort.
0: Yes, and create a lot of self-worth. Yes. A lot of value in this. um, So... Every time I think I'm coming out and I'm going to see you, and you are the executive director of the Indiana Cooperative Development Center, so I'm always thinking I'm coming to Indianapolis, and I've got to remember <laughs> this is in up in further colder country in Milwaukee. Correct. Why are you having it in Milwaukee?
2: Well, we, uh, for the first seven years of our existence, we um, we actually had the conference here in Indiana in Bloomington. And one of the key pieces to a, to a successful conference for us is to have a local food co-op host. And Blooming Foods, um, their general manager and I, were the creator of this conference. And over time, they have encountered you know some various issues that made it impossible for them to provide the support that they felt we needed. And then we also were kind of outgrowing the space in Bloomington. So as we were looking at a place to... Um, to take the conference, you know, I serve Indiana and my board wanted to make sure we didn't go too far afield. So we were looking at trying to keep it in the central part of the country to make it easy for everyone to get to. And we needed a city with an airport and a really strong local food co-op as the host. And that's how we settled on Milwaukee. and Outpost Natural Foods led by Pam Maynard has just been absolutely, stellar in their support of this conference. Just to give you an idea, this year, there will be 41 41 staff and board members of Outpost who are going to volunteer at the conference.
0: How many people do they have? That's a lot of people.
2: That's a lot of people. Um, I don't know. I probably should know that number. Several hundred employees and then a board. So... Their staff puts out the word, hey, we're, you know, we're doing the conference again. And what we ask them to do is help with registration, help um, in each of the classrooms. And so they volunteer. And this is the best list of volunteers that we've had. I mean, we've, we've always had about 30-ish, but this year we've got 41. Um, and it's just phenomenal that this is an existing food co-op, important enough to support Startup food co-ops, that they volunteer like this to come out and help us put on this conference.
0: Well, they're really living the principles, the fifth principle is training, education, and information. So they're giving and helping to make sure that people know so that these 125 new co-ops can be successful. Absolutely. And then there's cooperation among cooperatives, which is the sixth principle. And that's always sort of, and that's one of the reasons I love co-ops is sort of you get folks Inside the business, inside this co-op, working together, these 200 employees board, and then they go, they work outwards and help other other people, other organizations, and then therefore their community survives and strives, and then these 125 other communities in 31 states, or how many ever of these new co-ops are going to be there? I, I, I'm preaching to you. I know you know you <laughs> you know all of this.
2: Well, and you had mentioned in your with your previous interviewer and then as you came onto the segment about this being Black History Month, and I did want to just, if you'll allow me, to put in a plug. Um, several years ago, we were very intentional in trying to encourage and welcome and invite people of color into the conference. And food co-ops tend to be, and I'm generalizing here, In suburban areas, predominantly white, organized, but we're seeing huge organizations. Can
0: I just stop you? Okay. I used to hear that um, co-ops are... Hippies That was white hippies uh, eating uh, yogurt and – and uh, <laughs> but that we really don't know, and this is one of the reasons for this program and why NCB supports it, is a huge history of co-ops in the black community and, and, and bringing it over from Africa and all of that. So, please, I was going to talk to – when you said, please, your co-ops and people of color workshop track, you have a whole track – with what looks like eight or nine different kinds of, of uh, things going on on Friday and Saturday. So, yeah, please talk about that.
2: How did it get started? absolutely. So, we were very intentional about creating a space for co ops that are organizing. And a lot of times these are going to be in urban areas, um, low income areas that are sometimes, a lot of times, in food deserts who've been without a lot of resources. And the co-op model lends itself very well to any kind of community. But especially looking at urban low-income communities, the people who live there really can take a sense of pride in helping to create these grocery stores. So anyway, we have created this track. The speakers in that track come from organizing groups, people of color. The speakers are people of color. We try to cover a lot of topics because we, we, uh, we want sh- that- we want to show that we're welcoming, we're inviting. We want people to be comfortable, no matter the color of their skin. You know Co-ops are very, very welcoming and inviting. And it's been we have seen an increase in the diversity of our attendees. Um, and I think a lot of that can be contributed to the fact that we really are reaching out and trying to be very intentional about being as inclusive as possible. Deb, we've got to
0: take um, our break, but we'll come back and I want to talk about some of those classes. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Information is power. And that's why National co Bank helps us sponsor this program to give you information about cooperatives. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperative communities by providing innovative financial and related services. And right before we took break, Debbie Trocher was talking about one of the focus of of their up-and-coming conference, which will start uh, two weeks from today, in Milwaukee, Cole. Okay. Let me stay positive here. Okay. (laughs) 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 Okay. Debbie was talking about co-ops and people of color, that track. Can you tell us some of the classes that you're having there? I see striving in a white food co-op world, culture of the co-op, Growing co-ops, driving, uh, see, anti-racism efforts at PFC. I don't know what PFC stands for.
2: But um, does... That's People's Food Co-op in Kalamazoo. Okay. Um, so the general manager and a couple of staff members will be coming to talk about the efforts that they have undertaken at PFC in their community to ensure diversity and inclusion. The big theme to be
0: Detroit People's Food Co-op. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. And yes, he was be on the show. About their and he was the first one that I interviewed. In I'd interviewed him in the Detroit, so the first time I used this equipment. And I, I went to there. They have a uh, urban farm. I visited their farm, and then I went down and talked to him. And I went to the area where they had planned to put up the um, store, and it's in a blighted neighborhood. Uh, which in 1965, Deb, and I'm, I'm telling my age here, I worked at Ford in Dearborn for about nine months. I was a freshman in college, and I only went one semester. I didn't have money. So I went to Detroit, and I worked. And that was great for me because I learned that I didn't want to do that kind of work the rest of my life, working in a factory. Mm-hmm. But the area in 1965 where they're putting up this story, it was like – You'd almost like give a, a leg to, to live in some of those homes. They were so beautiful and stately and grand, and now a lot of them are just torn down. It's it's sad, and I would go there. My brother raised his family not too far from where the store is going to be.
2: Oh, would, awesome.
0: Yeah, I would go there every five years or so, but to watch it decay, and it's just, it's sad. So, yeah, I'm liking what, what <laughs> he's doing. I like his the conversation, and he's very, very smart. <laughs> so. Yes.
2: And then I don't know if you have had anyone from the Flint project on your show yet. Um, We've got a couple of folks coming to talk about what's happening in the Flint community, and we know about what happened with the water supply and the water system. Um, And this particular project has a church behind it who's really been instrumental in moving this project forward. So Pastor Reggie Flynn will be doing a session on how you get your community leaders aligned behind the vision that you have for your food co-op. And then another person out of that project is going to be talking about how you grow the co-op. How do you, how do you get people to commit to being member owners of the co-op? You know, there's a lot of education that has to happen because a lot of people don't understand what a co-op is. Um, and so, how they are doing that in their community? Those are both new sessions for us. I'm really excited to have them on board. Um, we're also doing a session on before you
0: before you move on, uh, Deb. If you would, Reginald Flynn has been on the program. Okay, and I was I tried to meet him when I was in Detroit. It didn't work. I was going to drive to Flint and meet him because I I had tried before to get somebody from Flint to talk about that water issue. But he just turns out they have a daycare center, a school. Um, They have a lot going on around their church, and some of it was going on before he came back. He grew up in Flint, so he Mm -hmm. has a tremendous sort of story, and he he likes and totally embraces the co-op model, and he's looking to do other things besides the food co-op. So, yeah, he should be great and and expand beyond food co-ops. Yeah.
2: Wonderful right. When you look at his bio and look at all the things that the church is um, part of, it, it is astounding. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, we also are doing a session that Stuart Reed, who I know you've had on your show from Food Club Initiative, is leading um, with lenders. Obviously, financing is a critical part of starting any business, so helping to introduce lenders and these startup groups helping them understand, you know, when you need to bring a lender into the project, the things, you know, really making sure that you have your ducks in a row as you're starting to look at financing for your food co-op since it's such a critical element of that whole process. And we are doing a new session this year. Um, It's going to be on Thursday afternoon, so it's one of our pre-sessions, and it's called implicit bias training.
0: Implicit bias training. Implicit bias training.
2: Um, you know, we can recognize outright bias. That's pretty easy to recognize. But a lot of times, the things that you learned growing up, they they color the way that you think. So you may internally have these biases that maybe you aren't aware of, and they color how you think, how you interact with people. So we've got um, a couple of very... Um, Austin um, women cooperators Darnell Adams and Bonnie Hudspeth will be leading that session on Thursday afternoon. I wish I could be in it myself, but unfortunately I won't, won't have that opportunity. But really helping folks to work through that, to work through their internal biases that perhaps crop up if, you know, when you least expect it.
0: You know, um, um, I like what you implicit bias. I call I've always called that systemic racism. It's it's mm-hmm. within the system and people don't know it. And there was a couple of female commentators that lit onto the male commentator. They were they were all Caucasian, all white, but the male Caucasian was talking about the senator who just came out and how tough she is and blah 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 and the people. And they lit on him of when a woman is tough, they call her the the B word, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, and that's what they talked about Hillary. But a man is tough, then he's you know he he's great, he's he's strategic, he's and they wrap it around the male being tough as positive and the female being tough as negative. And that was very very interesting. And I don't think the guy got it. <laughs> so, uh, but that happens with blacks and whites and uh, around all kinds of things, whether that's religion or race or gender. Uh, yeah, I like that. I'm going I'm to be in that one. I'm going to do my best after the pro- I put, Thank you. Okay, what else you got going? And we only have a well, couple more minutes. So. Well, the,
2: one other thing I wanted to put in a plug for. So we are doing a tour the same time as this implicit bias training of the Sherman Phoenix. All right, I want to go to that, too. I can't do both. Okay. I know you can't do both. (laughs) It is um, a building that during the race riot was almost destroyed. They recreated it as like a maker space. So inside of this facility, all of the businesses are African-American people of color. And think about a phoenix, you know, rising from the ashes. So that's part of why they call it the Sherman Phoenix. Um, I'm hoping I can get over there to that facility before the conference starts or when it ends, cause I won't be able to take the tour either. Um, but I'm very excited outpost helped put that together. Um, so that's another one of those really wonderful things that we've offered And outpost is covering the cost of the tour bus. So it's free to anybody, our speakers or our attendees who want to participate in that. And one last plug, there's still time to register. I was going to ask um, you
0: that. How do yes. people get in contact? What did it? did it do?
2: Upandcoming.coop. So it's upandcoming, all one word, dot C-O-O-P. Um, you can register from there. We've missed the early bird registration, so the cost for the two-day conference is $275. Check credit cards, cash, we take it all. You can actually register the day of the conference if at the last minute something happens and you're able to come. So, we welcome one and all. We'd love to have you there, and we are just really, really excited, Vernon, to have you at the conference this year.
0: So we'll be live. We'll be taped live from the conference Thursday morning, two weeks from the day, and I'm very, very excited about it. So that's U-P-A-N-D-C-O-M-I-N-G dot C-O-O-P. Please log in. Deb, thank you so very much for all that you're doing and having the insight for that track on co-ops.
2: And thank you, co-op. Vernon.
0: All right. We'll see you in two weeks. All
2: right. Thanks again.
0: Bye, everybody. Please have a great, great, great week and live cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk.